0: Morning, everybody. Uh, Obviously, I'm not Jeff. um, It's been an interesting week. Tracy came down with COVID. Jeff got sick. I'm up here. Um, Not a bad thing, obviously. Just uh, timing was kind of interesting. It's been a long weekend, but a good weekend. Uh, I've been teaching Saturday night, taught this morning, and now teaching up here. So it's been a it's been a very trusting relying on God kind of weekend to make sure that I do this properly. Before we get started, I do want to make an announcement uh, in case most people have not heard already. Um, if you can, and I say that almost like a, you know, like you should, but you should, because we're brothers and sisters, please keep Gail and Mike and the family, Hannes, in prayer. Uh, Gail was diagnosed with cancer this week, and they are relaxing on the beach at this moment Resting with God, let's put it that way. So please keep them in your prayers. Um, obviously, the elders are praying for them. We, they've covered your prayers and any other support that you can provide to them as well. So before we start the message today, let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to get together. We thank you that you are a good and gracious God, and you are the one who knows all things. You see the hearts and minds, and you know the intents behind all that we do and why we do it. We also know, Father, that you are sovereign and you are the one in control of all of this. And we ask you to put your hands on Gail and Mike and the family and just give them the peace and the assurance that only you can provide, that only comes from you and your spirit. Give the doctors the wisdom and discernment they need to do whatever it is they see they need to do, Father. Give Mike and Gail the, the confidence. And remind them repeatedly that you are the one in charge of all this, no matter what the outcome, because it is not our will, it's your will, Father. And in that same vein, Father, nobody here wants to hear what I have to hear. They want to hear what you have to hear, so let my words be your words. Let this message be edifying to those who need it, and let it be a reminder to us that not everything we go through is good, but it is good for your purposes, and you are glorified in all of it we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So I had toyed numerous times of uh, when Jeff told me I was going to be up here today. Do I pick something completely off topic and just run with it, or do I just continue with the message? And I tried putting together a few things, and I realized that if I do certain topics, it's gonna, I'm going to be up here forever. And it's going to take me a little more than a day or so to put it together. <laughs> so... Um, So I'm going to continue where Jeff left off in 1 Peter chapter 4. This is going to be a stage setter for what Jeff is going to preach on next week. And it's going to give you some things to think about as we go through these verses. Because today we're going to talk about suffering. And yes, if you laugh at the sign up front, it is kind of an inside joke as well because Jeff titled the sermon Surprised. And yes, surprised that I'm here, but we're going to talk about suffering. (laughs) So So Paul has been preparing us through this entire book for the reality of these verses since chapter 1. He's been building up to this point so we could have a firm foundation and understand why God allows suffering. As we go through these verses, I find it hard to believe Peter was not thinking about Daniel along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as he wrote this chapter. It will be no surprise surprise to you that we will return to this example throughout the message today. We'll take these verses out of order so it will make a little more sense to you. But before we get started, there are a few things I want to remind us of that are understood as Peter writes these verses. The first thing, God is sovereign and he is in control. Although Although we may consider it strange that we should endure trials, God does not. He has a purpose in it and we're going to talk more about that shortly. Second, Peter is writing this letter to believers. He's assuming that we know what we have in Christ and who empowers us to live a life that glorifies God. Third, Peter understands that we still wrestle with our flesh. There are times when we we may fall short and reap the consequences of our actions, and he writes these verses so we can examine our walk to encourage us and to manage our expectations based in truth. Lastly, Peter was writing this around the time when Nero was persecuting Christians as scapegoats for the great fire of Rome. This persecution set off about a 200-year period of persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. Peter, as a good shepherd, was preparing believers for the imminency of persecution and suffering and how we should handle it. With that, now we can get into the text that we're going to read together in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 16. Beloved, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We're going to start with verse 12. And as we've studied so far in Peter's message the last few weeks, he's told us that with Christ as our example, we are to serve God for his glory by suffering for his glory. Now Peter hits us right between the eyes with the truth of verse 12. Don't be surprised when fiery trials comes. It's a natural part of a Christian's life, We don't need to seek them, they will find us. Yes, it's encouraging, but it gets better. But why? Why should a believer who is walking closely with God and being obedient to God expect to enter fiery trials? Logical question, isn't it? One, because God says it will happen, and it happens for a purpose, which is to test us or to mature us. The word test in the Greek carries the imagery of a trial or proving of oneself. We are not talking about a temptation because God does not tempt us. A temptation is designed to exploit a weakness in our defenses, where a test is designed to highlight a strength in our character. God has been testing humanity since the garden when he gave Adam and Eve a command and a choice. He has a purpose to do test, and that is to strengthen and mature his children, to prepare us for the next battle, to teach us to rest in him in Christ's finished work, To trust that he's already won the battle on our behalf and to remind us that we are more than overcomers. Jesus tells us not to be surprised and expect trials and tribulations. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake and blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. In John 15 in the upper room, he tells the apostles with the same application to us today that the world hated him first and if the world persecuted him, it'll persecute us. There's no reason we should be surprised or think it's strange when a trial comes into our lives. So now we go to the book of Daniel, where the Holy Spirit gives us an amazing example of a literal fiery trial God allowed into the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had walked faithfully since, their little, since little children and did not deny God when taken into captivity into Babylon. They were faithful examples to other Jews of how to live for God even when they were not in the promised land. They had been given favor in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, and God blessed them with positions of influence and power in this pagan kingdom. Yet Nebuchadnezzar was not the most stable king as he was fickle and routinely believed his own propaganda. So when confronted with the choice of bowing down before Nebuchadnezzar's image or suffering the consequences for remaining faithful to God, they were not surprised that the trial had come and they chose God. They faithfully defied Nebuchadnezzar when they were first taken into captivity and didn't eat of the king's meat offered to idols. What they did as young men, they continued to do as adults. They chose to remain faithful to God, and they suffered faithfully. Suffering is going to be broken up into two types of suffering here in a minute. And the first one we're going to talk about is in verse 15, where Peter tells us not to suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. If you've ever played that game when you were a kid, one of these is not like the other. You can probably figure out which one is not like the other, but it kind of is. These four are all-encompassing terms that describe a situation where we suffer for the wrong reasons, reasons that do not glorify God. We understand how a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer suffers. They can spend time in jail or in prison. They may lose their life. They may lose a hand, or they may suffer some other consequences for their actions depending on the laws of that nation. They lose some type of freedom as they are cut off from society, or they lose a body part. These are the type of people Paul tells us will not inherit the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But meddler is this interesting word. We we have some imagery running through our head right now when you hear this word, because we think of kids and we think of cartoons and other things. But it's an interesting word because it describes someone who is unnecessarily involved in other people's affairs. And you're thinking to yourself right now, what does that have to do with the other three? You can think of, this wor- think of this individual as a gossiper. Not a gossiper who wants to collect information, but someone whose motive is to use that information to manipulate the situation for their gain. This type of individual, although not necessarily charged criminally, will do damage to their reputation if caught. If this individual is a Christian, they will do damage to Christ's name and tarnish their testimony in the eyes of others. This should give you an idea of suffering due to the consequences of our actions. Yet this is not what the point Peter is making. Peter's making a contrast between suffering because of the choices we make in the flesh and proper suffering for our choices made to glorify God. I'm going to borrow from John as he, makes a contrast very, as he makes this contract very direct and clear in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-10. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In Christ, we are saints. The word is hagias in the Greek, and it means to be set apart. We are the holy ones called out of this world to be different as lights for Christ in this dark world. We are not called to appease the flesh or the world. When we do, we act selfishly to glorify ourselves, and not glorify God. The point Peter makes here in this verse is that we can expect to suffer through God-ordained trials and testings. But if we're going to suffer, don't suffer for the things done in the flesh. Suffer for the things of Christ and for his glory. Now, now Peter gets to the point of suffering well in the trial. He's touched on this in chapter 3, verse 15 to 17, when he tells us to give a defense for our faith, yet do it with gentleness so that when we are slandered, those who revile our good name will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if it is God's will, than for doing evil. Peter Peter told us in verse 15 not to suffer for doing evil. Now he'll tell us why we should suffer for God and his glory. And this is where we see verses 14 and 16 for that picture. As you read through these verses, I immediately probably because I'm teaching Revelation right now, I immediately thought of the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. This church was persecuted for their faith in Christ by the Romans and by the locals within the city. Although they were under pressure to conform to the world's standards, they did not and stood fast in the face of adversity. Smyrna faithfully endured what we are starting to face today in many ways. We are facing persecutions with with potential suffering for standing on God's word as truth. God's position is very clear on matters of sin, like adultery, homosexuality, and a wide variety of other things. And he's also very clear on matters of exclusivity of Jesus being the only way to God. If we are true to God's word, we will eventually endure faithful suffering for God's glory as innumerable Christians have done before us. So Peter starts off verse 14 with a condition, the word if. The fiery trial begun if you are insulted or reviled for the name of Christ. We tend to look at this as a bad thing because we have failed to maintain peace with everyone to the best of our ability, as Paul tells us in Romans 12. Yet Peter tells us that if we are reviled for the name of Christ, then we are blessed. This means we are living in a manner that is allowing the Holy Spirit to glorify God through us as we are salt and light in the world. The blessing is simply the acknowledgement that we are living a life pleasing to Father God and the trial and suffering is proof or validation that we are living in fellowship with him. One of the questions that creates the most doubt in a Christian's mind is this question. Am I really saved? This blessing we receive here is a confirmation to us that the spirit of glory in God rests on and dwells in us and demonstrates to the world that we are children of God. Verse 16 gives us the second condition. If anyone suffers as a Christian. This is is in contrast to verse 15, for those who suffer in the flesh, and a continuation of verse 14, as we see people who suffer because of Christ's name. If anyone suffers as a Christian for Christ's name, do not be ashamed. Today, we look at people in prison and we feel shame or pity for them. We look at their acts and wonder how they could have fallen to that point. What caused this problem? What went wrong? Where did they go wrong? A lot of times we look at them and go, all you need is Christ. And there's truth in that. What we find is they committed a crime and they are rightly paying the penalty for it. It's a situation we don't want to be in because it changes how people see us. When you're in prison or in jail, you're seen as criminals and violators of the law when we want to be seen as upstanding citizens. We're ashamed, we're embarrassed, but not so when we're suffering for Christ. I have a hard time picturing Paul being ashamed while he was waiting death in the Mamertine prison on behalf of Christ. I have a hard time picturing John being ashamed in persecution on the island of Patmos for faithfully preaching the word of God. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not ashamed for defying Nebuchadnezzar and standing firm for God. When we suffer for Christ, we glorify God's name and we have a reason to rejoice. And now we come to verse 13, which tells us to rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That verse gives the end state as to what we need to look at when we're going through suffering. So rejoicing is the hallmark of a Christian because of what we have in Christ and what he has done for us. We also need to rejoice when we suffer for Christ's sake. James James tells us in chapter 1 of his letter that we are to count it all joy when we enter trials and suffering. Jesus tells us again in the Beatitudes that we will be reviled and persecuted for his name's sake and we are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. We need to be like Peter and John in Acts 5 when they were brought before the Jewish council and told to stop preaching Jesus. They refused, they were beaten, and then they were released. What was their response? They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus' name and to share in his suffering. Do we have that outlook? After Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar of all people blessed God. This caused rejoicing in their hearts because God received all the glory from their faithful witness in the trial, as well as God received glory and recognition from an enemy. So when we're looking at at the words here, you see share. And to share in Christ is a much larger discussion than we have time to get into this morning. But I'm going to touch on some things here. And the word share is a derivative of the word koinonia. Yes, Jen, I used that word. The word koinonia is one of the most awesome words in Greek that you're going to find in Scripture because it means fellowship, communion, partaking, partnership, those kind of words. We are to have fellowship and communion in Christ and to share all things with and in Christ to include his sufferings. Why? So we can rejoice when he gets the glory. I'm going to say that again. We are to have communion in Christ and share all things with him to include his sufferings. The result of our suffering for Christ is our rejoicing. Not for what we have done, but that God received the glory because we were faithful and obedient to trust him throughout the trial. When we suffer for our flesh, there's usually no no glory to anyone. If there's any glory, it's directed at us. When we suffer for Christ's name, we rejoice because no matter the outcome, he is faithful and true, and all glory goes to him. We rejoice because our communion with him only deepens in the trials. We share in Christ's faithful suffering for God's glory. When all is laid bare, we recognize we are weak and insufficient, yet he is strong and we are overcomers in Christ. We recognize the perfect communion in our relationship with Christ, and all we can do is thank God. So Peter tells us that Christians don't get a pass when it comes to suffering. As weird as this sounds, God loves us too much for that, and he wants us because he wants us to be more like him. He tests us so we mature through the Holy Spirit as he's renewing our mind. Spurgeon says this, the Christian who is persecuted for his faith is a partner in the same kind of suffering Jesus endured, suffering for doing what is right. We cannot, of course, share his atoning sufferings, for he is the only sin-bearer, but we can share the same kind of sufferings he endured as a man. We can share his rejection and reproach. We can receive the words and scars in our bodies which believers would still like to inflict on him. We are in Christ and have been called to commune with him in both suffering and rejoicing. That's the point Peter's getting across here. He's warning believers, you will suffer for Christ's sake. It may not be now, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be in a few years from now. You may actually make it through this world and never actually have this kind of suffering that he's talking about. But there are innumerable Christians throughout history and even in this world today when we look at our partners over in India, Christians in other countries that are Muslim, that they're in hidden churches, underground churches. They're living these passages. We are so fortunate here in the U.S. that we don't have to, have to live this right now, but it's coming. We're starting to see Bits and pieces of it in the way people react to anybody who stands faithfully on God's Word as truth. We are starting to see what happens when you take a stand against a certain person's lifestyle or belief system. You get called names like bigots, intolerant. Pick any of those words. I'm sure you've heard them, or at least you've heard them in the news or online somewhere. Suffering is coming, Christians. It may be different for each one of us how we endure the suffering is what's going to matter because we have to look at the end state which is it's for God's glory and we need to rejoice he has a purpose in it I may not see it but I have to trust him so hopefully you got something out of that message that is not all negative suffering is a crucial part of the Christian life whether it's physical mental doesn't make a difference but it's all for a purpose and we need to rejoice in Christ for it. So next week, Jeff is going to continue this discussion on suffering for Christ and the faithful service that glorifies God. One of the things I didn't spend a whole lot of time going into but is critically important is when a Christian suffers, what does the rest of the family do? Does the rest of the family run away and go, no, I'm ashamed of that individual? No, the rest of the family comes around comes close, holds them, and gets them through it. Numerous examples in Scripture, Paul being in prison, and Christians, brothers, sisters coming to visit him, encourage him. That's what we do as a family when, we go, when one of us goes through trials and suffering. So I want to end on a quote and a challenge to those who profess to be followers of Christ. Charles Ryrie says that the glory of God is the manifestation of any or all of his attributes. In other words, it's the the displaying of God to the world. Thus, that which glorifies God are things which show the characteristics of his being to the world. So the challenge is very, very simple today. Am I living a life that would identify me as a follower of Christ and could cause me to suffer for his name? Pray on that. Seek the Spirit's guidance on that. And have a blessed week as you go out and be witnesses for Christ. Thank you.